Welcome back to Top 5 Season 2. Um, this podcast is for my new listeners and prisoners and them jealous rap cats that prefer dissonance. And I can't forget all my OG audience. Um, today, um, I wanted to expand the conversation beyond just talking about who the best MC is. Um, the beautiful thing about talking about music is the experiences, the journeys, and the nostalgia attached to it. Um, today is a very special episode because this person is literally my family, um, but I'm going to talk to her like I don't know her from a hole in the wall. <laughs> um, but besides the fact of that, um, it's someone who really influences me, and I love talking to different professionals and creatives about how music influences them and the intersections between their careers and journeys and music. So introduce yourself to the people, um, what's your name and your at name and what you do for a living. Okay, so I'm Danielle Robinson Lopez and I am a licensed clinical social worker and I'm so happy to be here with you Zoe, so proud and excited. I appreciate it. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Um, how did music influence you growing up? Well, I mean, music influenced me growing growing up because our family is heavily into music. So yes. it has been almost the, well, it has been the soundtrack of our lives, mm-hmm. you know, um, from your mom being the best singer in the world wow. to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Kevin, yes. you know, um, and then, you know, we span out into just the 80s and what a great time that was for music in general. Um, I think um, from Michael Jackson and uh, Motown and the Grammys and television and th- things of that sort and just tuning into um what was on TV, what was on the radio, and you didn't have it so accessible Mm -hmm. as you have it today. Right. So you had to, it was live and direct, and if you missed it, you had to hear about it. Mm -hmm. So on your journey to social work, like, let's actually just start. Like, what made you say, like, hey, like, this is some a field I really see myself getting into and growing as a professional? So it was really interesting how I ended up in social work. Mm-hmm. I actually went to school for English and elementary education. And during my student teaching, I was paired up with a young man, who, a young boy, actually. Um, he was in the fourth grade who was in foster care. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with this kid. And I decided in my senior year, about to graduate, Teaching is not for me. Mm. I want to be a social worker. And my professors were like, what? Are you, like, losing your mind? (laughs) Like, you're about to graduate. Mm. You're certified to be a New York State teacher. And you're talking about a completely different field. Mm. And things just added up. And I winded up uh, applying for ACS at that time. And I graduated in May. And I had a job on June 28th. Wow. So Yeah, quickly. Yeah. So what was it like just going into the field right after and just being like, okay, like what motivated you to stay? Like besides, like you said, you fell in love with the kid that was in um, foster care, but what made you say like, okay, I'm going to stay here. This is what I love to do. Uh, People, Mm. you know, um, interactions with people. And it almost seems as if it was something that, my life was really built to do because 
as a young child growing up, I could remember when I was like four or five, like you see what a person presents with, but I always wanted to know what is inside mm. of a person? What is their knowledge? What is the content of their experiences? Um, I know that sounds a little advanced. And so as I started to meet people as I was working, I wanted to know more about what makes them click. Mm. You know, what are they feeling? What is the, you know, and, and people's brains fire in different ways. And so from based on their experiences, I was able to grow as a person. And I think one of the things that social workers are able to do is collaborate people together and systems. Mm -hmm. So my first master's is actually in uh, public administration mm -hmm. at John Jay and my concentration was systems. So I really understood like, okay, this is how we move about certain systems. But once I was able to collaborate that with social work and clinical social work, so how do people move about systems? Mm. So that's interesting because in hip hop, I always make this parallel because I have the same type of feeling with people, even though like I'm far from working in, in social work or any of those um, public health um, structures. Um, I always think of like when I listen to anybody, Nas or like, Jay-Z or like these people and how their stories tell certain things. I'm always interested on the deeper layers. So for you, what quantifies success with helping someone or speaking to these people or in your profession? Hmm. Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> what quantifies success mm -hmm. in helping someone? Mm -hmm. um, alleviating the the issue that they came in with mm. because usually when someone comes they come with a with a problem a mm -hmm. crisis um you know it's a little different from when I was in child welfare and now I'm in health and hospitals and in private practice I've been in practice for seven eight years now um so typically looking at it from a private private um perspective mm -hmm. um when we are able to get the person to the next phase of their life, right? Because one of the things that happens initially is the engagement process. Mm -hmm. So it takes a few sessions, you know, maybe we're talking about meeting weekly over a two or three month period. And we're really just working on our relationship and strengthening our relationship, you know, and sometimes people come in and, you're able to form that relationship sooner than others and they're just feeling you out. And so, you know, I was thinking about this kind of metaphorically this morning and what happens is they allow you inside. And when I was, used to work with children, I used to say, what's on your channel? Mm. You know, and, and they would kind of laugh about that. And then, you know, once you get into someone's channel, it's almost like getting into their mind. Mm. So it's like, can I step in here with you for a minute? Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes, you know, if you've ever, you've been in a room, sometimes you lose perspective on what's in that room. Mm -hmm. So climbing into someone's mind, it's like, do you know this couch is over here? You know, what about if we rearrange it like this? Mm. You know, and that's like the characteristics that someone has. Let's rearrange some of these characteristics. Let's mm. open up your mind a little bit so that you can gain perspective of your world. So what a clinician really does is to 
be able to help someone to think critically as they progress in life so that they no longer need the clinician. Mm, okay. So in our community, like black and brown people, um, therapy and um, counseling is not really, it's becoming more of a popular thing because before it wasn't as widely accepted as it was before. Um, how important do you think that changing these perspectives and helping rearrange these characteristics are for our people? Uh, it's extremely important. Um, I think the perception is that we don't have these mental health issues because the DSM-5 doesn't necessarily match up with our experience. Mm. That's one component of it. Um, so what depression looks like for a black man or a black woman doesn't necessarily look like what the DSM-5 criteria looks like, you know, because we can't afford to sit on the couch, not go to work anymore. Like mm -hmm. that's going to cause catastrophic um, issues. Mm -hmm. So as you know, and I, a lot of my Instagram posts are dedicated to trying to ease that um, that perception that you can't trust because mm -hmm. that's another piece of it. A huge part of it is that a lot of black and brown people think like, okay, I what's the use? Like I've spoke I spoke to someone recently and I was like, hey, would you ever think about doing therapy? And they were like a lot really shut off to the idea like it's a waste of time. Like I don't trust anyone. What help would it do? Um how important is changing that percept per perception and like how important is it to have black women like you, like now it's becoming more of um, an acknowledged thing. And I see a lot of people um, trying to do that. That's why I really appreciate your platform in terms of, you know, speaking to that. So how important do you think it is for us to see us as a therapist in therapy? I think it's, it's, um, it's just as important for anyone else to see themselves in therapy, mm -hmm. you know, um, you have to have a certain representation inside of the room. You know, T Toni Morrison used to refer to it as the white gaze, and she talked mm -hmm. about um, certain authors writing to a white audience. And yeah. it's the same thing in therapy because, you know, if you if you have to worry about that gaze and you can't be your honest self when you're in the room, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that they're not um, clinicians of other colors, but I think it will help to bridge the gap mm -hmm. for people to lower those inhibitions, for people of color to lower their inhibitions about stepping into the room. Because a lot of times, you know, especially in this era of Trump, mm -hmm. you know, people want to come in and talk about the racism that yes. they're experiencing and they don't necessarily feel like um they can do that mm -hmm. when it's not a clinician of color, mm -hmm. you know, um, and people call and ask for a clinician of color. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important. Do you think it's more widely available now? Because I remember when I was in, in college, um, it was often like there were people who were psych majors and it was like 
oh, you're going to be a psychologist. Like, what job is there for, like, psychology? Like, I think I see people like you. Um, there's a, a, a psychiatrist named Dr. Jess. Um, she's a black woman, and um, she does um, interviews with hip-hop artists and um, trying to bridge that gap. Um, I Do you think the wall, like, the door is open now, and that's the demand for people of color to be like, hey, like, this is something I really need. Like, how often do you experience that when somebody's like, I, like I need to talk to someone of color, and how does that benefit them? I think, I think from when I came, well, what I see and what I know, actually, mm-hmm. is from when I came into this industry, there are more people of color. Mm-hmm. And we try to gravitate towards each other and share our information because it's such a limited number of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're on the phone. Hey, listen, let me give you my telephone number. Right. But what I also know is that psychology, mental health, um, it's a funny kind of industry mm. because in order to get your certifications you have to be someone's mentor. Mm. So you're looking at, first of all, being someone's mentor for three years, Hmm. getting a certain amount of hours in order to even take that exam. And if you don't know someone that is willing to put you underneath their wing and really nurture you, you got six years to get that done. And if you don't get that done within that six years, the clock starts all over again. So you're talking about you know, uh, especially if you're not in the field of mental health and, and you're trying to count these hours up. So who's going to bridge the gap to really bring um, us into the industry so that not only do we have the degree, but we have the credentials. And a lot of times people hear, oh, you need this amount of hours. You need a mentor. And they're thinking, well, I don't have those things, so I'm not even going to try. You know, and that happened to me when I first went to John Jay. I was thinking forensic psych. And then someone was like, well, where are you going to get the hours from? And I said, man, you know, all right, let me do public administration instead of this, because that's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a common theme with in any profession and especially for our population, our community, the most is like, we don't have the luxury of time. We don't have the luxury of resources. And I think that's a main theme in hip hop. And um, people have used music as black people specifically have used music to be like a catharsis kind mm-hmm. of um, trying to ease these struggles that they go through every day. Um, so what what are some things, cathartic things that you would recommend to your clients in, in this era of Trump, in this era of racism, in this era of student loan debt, like that affects our communities the most because we don't have, we pay ourselves ways through school. Like we, if you're not getting a scholarship, you're basically indebted to this country. So what are some cathartic ways you think that youth and um, young artists can just, you know, try to make it through day by day? Meditation, mm-hmm. meditation, meditation, meditation. I, I, you know, I think people underestimate how um, beneficial meditation is and they feel like I can't silence my mind and they don't do enough research 
to figure out that there's so many different ways to meditate. There's med- there's meditation with sound and music. Mm-hmm. And when you hit that frequency, because what it helps to do is to be able to control your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, because we experience so much trauma within our communities, we're constantly in a place of fight or flight with the amygdala and our hypothalamus really running our brain and not switching to our frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. So what happens over time is your your brain is getting strengthened in that era, you know, in that area rather. And so when you meditate, it allows you to have more control over your emotions. And to, it's almost like a gear shift mm-hmm. to be able to say, wait, you know what? Let me shift back into this and and look at this from a broader perspective and how can I navigate and move and realize the options that I have. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important thing. Like, And I've used music in that way just to like meditate or like have a still moment, you know, like not thinking of anything that's going on or just try to alleviate the pressure. Um and yeah, I think that's an important tip. Thanks for that. You're welcome. I think our listeners will find that very important. Um, so just to switch gears a little bit, we can do a little fun stuff. Okay. Um, we're going to do a quick game that's called Skota. <laughs> I can never say it because it's literally gibberish. Um, it's Skopatumana. It's this okay. whole thing on Twitter that they do. Like It's almost like a word association game. But the top five by Zoe version is going to be one where I'm going to tell you a theme, like major themes in hip hop, like five of them. Okay. Um, and you just tell me a song that you listen to or a song that you can think of by like a black artist um, that you would associate with this. Okay. You think you can handle that? <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. The first one I thought of is Love. Love. Hmm. Sade. Mm-hmm. Um, sweetest Taboo. Mm-hmm. The Sweetest Taboo. Yeah, I love that one. Um, childhood. It could be your childhood or childhood period. Hmm. Rashawn Patterson. Hmm. Don't run too fast. Mm. Um, for some reason, that song it always reminds me of grandma. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and he talks about his grandmother, and she's saying like, "Don't run too fast," mm. and just reflecting on his childhood. Interesting. Um, I miss grandma. Um, me too. Uh, addiction. Addiction. Ooh, sensual seduction. <laughs> Snoop. <laughs> The jam. Oh, man. Um, Anxiety. Darling Nikki. Mm. Prince. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And death. Death. Mm. Another Prince song, Sometimes It Snows in April. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. How ironic, though. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't do a lot of like pop culture on the show like most like in terms of like oh what's the hot topic morally because one I just feel like we're more than just a headline or like we're just so layered um so 
from your experience um, and your perspective, what do you see as the current landscape for hip hop and R&B at this current time from your lens? There's some good jams out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Brown is definitely doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably the longest album that has <laughs> been released. Like I'm like, okay. Yeah, I still even didn't get through his last long album. So the one that was like 40 songs. So. Mm-hmm. <sighs> How important. Well, he, it's funny that you brought him up because he is definitely one that's always been battling... I hate to say when people are battling demons because like it is it is spiritual in a way, but also some things are a consequence of their actions and or or of their, what they've been through, their experiences. So, what do you think about Chris Brown from a uh, clinical clinician's view? I think that um, his twenties was a difficult time mm. for him. And as most young people, it's a difficult time. Um, and when you're faced with such uh, stardom and, yes, people in your corner, it's very difficult to figure out who you are. One of the things that I say to my young people is that the 20s is the adolescence, um, is, is the toddlerhood of um, of adulthood. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, I feel that one. Expert. Yeah, because you you think of, you think about it. The first twenty years really is about being a child, and you graduate from that. Yeah. And the expectation usually is is that now that you graduated from being a child, that you know how to adult. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna take about tw- ten years to kind of settle into your body and have these new experiences. How can you be an expert at something that you're new at? Mm-hmm. So relating that back to Chris Brown and and things that he um had to battle. I think he's finally getting to a place where maybe he got the support that he needs um, and positive people in his corner and moving out of that decade. And now we kind of see him um, settle down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And trying to change and trying to unlearn and relearn and trying to make a new uh, perception of himself. I can agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in terms for artists that are trying to navigate the industry, how important do you think to them, um, you know, a lot of, we get the rap of being like the young artists of they're addicted to pills or they are on lean or they like write a lot of depressing songs. Um, or even suicide and things like that. Um, and with that overwhelming um, pressure to be being a celebrity and being famous or trying to put yourself into your music while also trying to live a normal life when there's no normalcy in that, like trying to find that balance. So what advice would you think you can give to them? I think that we are, um, well, I know that we're in the midst of an opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's always a crisis that comes up every 10 years anyway. You know, in the 90s, when I was growing up, it was the the crack era. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think there has to be an understanding of how these substances impact the mind mm-hmm. and make it more difficult for people to um, to really express themselves. 
Um, and so how do you resist being um, drawn in or substance abuse being glamorized really is important for young people to, to realize that, you know, your dopamine um, and your serotonin um, are depleted when you're using substances. And, and so it kind of destructs the life. And of course, you know, there are times where you can kind of put things back together. But I think even when you put things back together, sometimes you lose pieces and components. So how do you really work on people working on their coping mechanisms in order to be able to sustain some of the things that are coming at them in a realistic perspective of what life really is? Because I think there's this this um, misconception that life is going to be great and grand and there's not going to be any struggles. And that's just unrealistic. So when we move into a more realistic perspective of what should be the expectation of life, then we can um, enjoy success. Because everything that the mind can do with an altered substance, it can also do without it. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about that's why those chemicals are available for us. Do drugs, dope, those things, those are like cheat sheets in a video game. Yep. So you're just pressing those buttons. And a lot of times it's, it's because people are looking for a means of escapism. Yeah. But you got to if you really work hard, you can figure it out how to have those euphoric experiences without any substances yeah we have definitely reached everybody's favorite part of the show okay. um so i'm gonna do it twofold okay first we're gonna start out with who are your top five favorite artists and why okay so um i'll start with number five number five for me is gangstar mm -hmm. um and i think my rap influences have been people that really incorporated like kind of the musicy kind of feel to it. Um, I'm someone who likes like instruments, mm -hmm. and so I love the like the smoothness of um, X to the next. You yeah. know, -da 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 -da. I, I just love Primo. I love Guru. <laughs> they are everything to me in terms of like I love scratching like so i understand that we both our family is very like instrumental like uncle kevin plays guitar like oh, like we've grown up around that so i can definitely feel you on that definitely yeah so and then number four for me is rakim mm -hmm. um and you know know the ledge is is my favorite song yes i think it pertains a lot to mental health mm -hmm. and boundaries you know and one of the things that i always think about that song is like how old he was mm -hmm. when he wrote that i think about that a lot with a lot of the 80 like late 80s rappers like wow you were very introspective and you didn't even know that you were there that's so crazy and it's so classic, mm -hmm. right? It's something that you can tailor to life forever, mm -hmm. eternity. Yeah, that's interesting that you parallel Know the Ledge with um, mental health. Because at, like, at first listen, you wouldn't think that. But then when you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh, he really is talking about like anxiety and or like just being like everything in his surroundings. So 
that's definitely a very interesting perspective on that. And also, it's like an ode to New York because mm-hmm. he talks about all the boroughs yes. too. And I love the way that he kind of holds back without saying Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 real catchy. Rakim is smooth. Yeah, <laughs> with Rakim, it would definitely be know the ledge. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that we're constantly working on in session. Like, mm-hmm. okay, what are your boundaries? How do you set your boundaries? Mm-hmm. What are your capacities, right? Because yeah. a lot of times people don't even know, like they extend themselves beyond their capacity or they don't fulfill themselves to what their capacity really is. And so, you know, and my blog, I kind of referred to it as, you know, coming into your superpowers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we underestimate what negativity actually means to positivity. Yeah. Because every superhero needs a villain. Because it's True. the villain who makes you into the superhero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and number three is Anderson Pac. Mm-hmm. I love him. He's awesome live. Have you ever seen him live? Oh, my goodness. No. I, I think I got to put that on my bucket list. You have to. You have to. Because he just has no... He literally just can do anything. Like, he's really, like, almost... Prince Aura to me, mm, but okay. not on that grandiose scale, but in terms of his musicality, definitely. But why do you love Anderson? Because he's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the things that we've kind of lost scope of is presentation, mm. you know, dressing for the occasion, you know, and, and he does that as well as knowing his craft. Mm-hmm. He can rap, he can sing, he can play instruments. I mean, the brother's just talented. Yep. Um, and I can pop him in and listen to him from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like that about his projects. I'm always like, he's always a vibe. I hate to be like that girl, but I love that vibe. Mm-hmm. With so number two. And number two is Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, Prince for me is number two because he didn't want to take his career to that um, that spectrum. But... I mean, I can put on prints from 1977 to, you know, the early 90s, and I'm just vibing out. Yeah. And he's so deep, and it's he's just amazing to yeah. me. Yeah, I feel like that, too. I My affinity for Prince is just one that is, like, beyond. I just actually tweeted the other day. I was like, the world feels so different without him. And it mm. feels like it just doesn't. It doesn't feel real that he's not here in a way because, like, it's just like we felt like there was so much more for him to tell us. And I feel like he was just on that cusp of, like, getting back to, like, okay, before he, you know, he had his moment when he was more reserved, which, granted, he had reasons for that. But I felt like he was just right on the cusp of being, like, okay, empowerment. I feel like he would have probably been with Jay-Z and like his rock nation in terms, not in terms of the NFL or anything, but in terms of like music and how rewarding artists for having their masters. Like he always been um, a proponent of that, but I feel like he would have had more advice to give us that. Fortunately, we won't ever get to hear. Yeah. Besides what's in his work and what he has already said. That's so true. You know, people like that, we wanted to stick around forever. I think yeah. we lost three greats with Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston, and sure. Prince. Yeah. You know, thinking that, oh, we have so much more time with them, at least another 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And 
who's your number one? My number one is definitely Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Jackson, because he changed the landscape of music. And you can hear his influences in so many people's music. You know, his background vocals where I know in rap people refer to them as the callbacks and mm-hmm. all of those different sounds. And you can always hear something different. I saw a meme the other day and it says, it said, when you're happy, you listen to the music. And when you're sad, you listen to, to the, the lyrics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, but I would also say when you're feeling any spectrum of emotions, you know, anxiety, those, you know, any of those things, you listen to the words and like, wait, what are they really saying? This really resonates with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like even with Quincy Jones's genius mind paired with Michael Jackson, even though, you know, they had their ups and downs, I feel like that collaboration we won't ever see something so spectacular ever again if we do it would be an enigma at this point yeah totally the way that they were able to team up and really bring the best out of each other mm-hmm. period and just make the most classic music of all time so you named that for um for rakim um for gangstar what was the song that you said? X to the next. Yes, X to the next. And I would use that because a lot of times people get stuck in relationships, mm, you yep. know, and that's a good song to kind of flush out like this situation is ending yeah. and there's going to be something else and you just got to keep it moving. Yeah. And especially the way Guru flows, he's very matter of fact in the way he says things. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that, too. Um, and then you had... You had Prince. You said you might mention Michael. Did you mention a song by Michael? Um, well, my favorite song is "Wanna Be Starting Something." Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the the what I appreciate about that song is that there are always people who are going to be antagonists and um, not necessarily on your side. And whether it's coming from, you know, he says, I took my baby to the doctor, Mm -hmm. you know, with a fever, but it's almost as if he's saying that the fever doesn't really have anything that is, you know, it's, it's the people that have gotten her to this point, Mm -hmm. almost as if she's having a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's my Michael song, but to say that it happens to everyone Mm -hmm. and sometimes people need to understand that you know we're all in the same boat in this in this fight to get forward in life and get to the next level Mm. thank you for that that was great um (laughs) just to for our wrap up um what do you hope to accomplish with your platform that you're starting with danny's word one that's the instagram um with my platform i want people to get to know who I am as a clinician, Mm -hmm. you know, and to understand that just because somebody is sitting in the seat of helping, Mm -hmm. that they're not like someone that's so far removed. I often have to remind people, I'm a therapist, not a psychic. Mm -hmm. You know, people get like, oh my God, I don't want, oh, if I sit in this seat, what are you thinking about me? And all these judgments that come up. 
Um, so I hope to dispel that. And then I like to also bring up contemporary issues mm-hmm. that are going on that relate so that some because sometimes people just don't have an understanding of how certain things relate to mental health. So mm-hmm. that's what I try to do and just break into, you know, Danny's word um, and just sharing little tidbits of what someone could get if they were to sit in a seat in a short amount of time. Mm hmm. Tell people what services you're offering on your Instagram and with your therapy and counseling sessions. So if anyone wants to look me up, I'm on Psychology Today, um, Danielle Robinson Lopez. If you um, search me within the area or just on the website, you can find me and schedule an appointment. I'm also going to be doing um, some online kind of coaching therapy, nothing too intense online, um, and just discussing how maybe we can do some FaceTime and kind of get people um, implemented that way. Yeah, I feel you. That's dope. I really appreciate that. And I feel like that is very key to, you know, with the time that we're in right now, we need accessibility because I know that a lot of a boundary for a lot of people is the time to go or find someone or even trying to find someone that's a black therapist. It's very difficult. So it's great that you're starting this platform and that you're doing it. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm <laughs> yeah, so proud of you too. Even looking like looking up to you like all my life. And it's just like, oh my God, that's so dope. So hopefully I can even do touch the hem of your garment to do anything that's close to that (laughs) but yes tell the people your instagram again my instagram is danny's word one Mm -hmm. you can find me there all right and we can start from that point it's so lit thank you so much for this i had fun you're welcome (laughs) me too dope